Okay. Um, my name is Ramu Nagapan. I'm the director of the Humanities and Education Department here at UC Berkeley Extension. Um, we always enjoy these events. Um, as you know, our primary mission is continuing education. Um, we've been doing this for well over a century, providing courses and programs uh, for adults and professionals around the Bay Area and online now. Um, as also part of our mission, we, we um, host these special events, public lectures, where we can um, share with you uh, speakers of note, people who have a lot to share. Um, and you're in for a real treat tonight. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for the evening, uh, Dr. Marty Nemco. Um, to uh, call him a celebrity in the Bay Area is, is to do kind of an injustice to his accomplishments. Um, he, as you probably know, is a renowned um, career counselor, um, much sought after. Uh, he's uh, been published very widely. Um, uh, he is uh, you know, uh, such an expert in the field of education and careers. Um, he's appeared on TV, uh, many national publications. He's hosted his own radio show since 1989. Um, he has a PhD from this university, UC Berkeley, and he's taught in the UC system as well. Um, he has countless books and articles to his name, so we're just incredibly fortunate to have him here to talk to you um, about a topic, great debate, the future of work. Uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Robert, thank you very much. Let's start again, because I think we should, we should record this. Um, Ramu was very kind to say it was his privilege to have me here. But it really is my privilege. Because, as I said, three months ago, when he first decided to invite me, I was excited, just emotionally excited. And I've been working for three months on this, even though I've done a zillion before. Not just because this is my alma mater, but because I really believe that extension, frankly, I'll just say that, that would be nice. Extension is one of the smarter things you can do to get the practical training from leading-edge people. And so for me to be asked to do a public lecture here is a privilege. End of story. I also, as I was driving here today, I was, I also want to thank Stan Wiesner, by the way. Is he still? Stan, who was the first guy who got, you know, five or years ago I did one of these, and it was his idea and I was deeply appreciative, so thank you, Stan, as well. As I was driving here, it crossed my mind that, you know, I was planning to sell books. I have my latest book is, is called The Best of Marty Nemco out in the second edition. It's, I've, it's my best 66 out of 3,000 articles. And then an idea hit me. I'm going to give them away. I had brought 20 books. Why? In honor of the person who is the most respected person in the area of career counseling who just died. And I remember attending one of his talks, Richard Nelson Bowles, Dick Bowles, the author of What Calls Your Parachute. And I remember coming to one of his talks, and this gracious man gave a book. There were a 1,000 people in the audience. He gave a free copy of the current edition of What Color Is Your Parachute to every single attendee. I only have 20 books, but I'm I remember I begged you to come sit in the middle? Yes. People in the middle are getting a free book. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie, would you pass these out for me, please? Give me the middle people first. Then if there's any left, then the people on the side can get it. Thank you. 
I'll wait till last time because everybody's going to be distracted for a minute. And you know, this may, you may not believe me, but I am obsessed with honesty and integrity. So if you hate this book, I want you to write a horrible review of it on Amazon. If you like it, fine. I, I welcome that too. But I think we live in a world of fake news. And I crave authenticity. And the way in which consumers get, make judgments is Yelp and Amazon. So if you feel like writing an Amazon review, make it the truth. Okay. All right. Now, enough of the preliminaries. On to the topic of the day, the future of work. It sounds almost abstract. Not human. And yet our careers are not just the way we make money. It's key to our identity, our meaning of who we are. If we lose our job, and let me tell you, lest you think I'm this big celebrity, I have lost two jobs. And let me tell you, it hurts. Even if you've had a lot of wins, you feel like crap. So when we're talking about the future of work here, we're not talking about some abstraction. We're talking about your life. So. Whoops, that's completely in the wrong order. Let's see if we can do things right. All right, we'll stay there for a moment. Everybody knows the world, as Bob Dylan would say, is a changing. The work world, which we hear technology, we hear the word robots, we hear the robots are coming. The robots are coming for your job. My job here today is to tell you what I think is happening, what, what is likely to get lost, but what more importantly, we're going to talk about 20, 28, I think, 28 different careers that are likely to be robust to technologies taking over, maybe even capitalizing on technology taking over, that can't be offshored. So that's going to be the main goal. And then we're going to look, because this is Berkeley, after all. We're not just going to talk about what's right for us as individuals. We think big here at Berkeley. We're going to present some an optimistic and a pessimistic vision about what's going to happen society-wise and what we, as world citizens, can do about it. So that's my agenda. Then a lot of time for questions and answers, and then a story that I, wanted, I love talking about that I'll tell at the, at the very end. Part of the technology revolution and loss of jobs as technology is our fault, because we love our technology. Let me ask you a question. How many of you use an ATM more often than a teller? Raise your hand. Look around. Everybody. Well, you know what? That's a lot of lost teller jobs. How many of you, assuming it's the, the fast track is not backed up, how many of you prefer meeting your friendly toll taker versus the drive-thru? Nobody. How many prefer the drive-thru? Look around. Everybody. Bye-bye toll taker jobs. Truth. We all say, buy local, support your local businesses. How many of you buy on Amazon? Raise your hand. Look around. Those are lots of jobs lost because who the heck 
wants to sit in your car through the traffic or wait for mass transit to get to the, to the mall to find they don't have what you want in your size. Amazon, there it is. Christmas every day of the year on your doorstep. The lines, it was a Walmart. And how many of you really feel great? I'll say it this way. So often, it's like you're rolling the dice if you ask a clerk for help. Isn't it true that a lot of the time, the help is not exactly the world's greatest? Raise your hand if you agree. Watch this. It already is in San Francisco in the Bay Area being trialed. 12 languages. Our smaller staff. Okay. A lot of jobs go by, by with that. By the way, you know, if I walk into Lowe's with a bolt and I want to get a matching nut, I put it in the door in the Lobot and it will tell me exactly what the, what the part is and would you like me to walk you to it? And will walk me right there. Bye-bye millions of retail jobs. Cars. How many of you are old enough to remember a term, Monday morning cars? How many of you heard that term, Monday morning cars? Very often, there were more manufacturers through the 60s and 70s. There were more manufactured, more lemons produced on Monday in car manufacturers than any other day. Who can guess why? They were hungover on Monday. Hand to God, the following is a true story. I was at a party, and there was a guy who used to work at a Ford plant in Dearborn, Michigan. And he said the guys would come in stoned, not just hungover, stoned, and they thought it would be like really fun, and let's take a netter of both, and let's throw it into the differential or the rear end or whatever, and then see if we can really mess with the quality control people and see if they, can, they won't be able to figure it out. Robots wouldn't do that. This is the plant today at Tesla. Yeah, there are a few people, but a heck of a lot of robots that don't even need minimum wage, that don't need guaranteed employment, where the employer doesn't have to spend Social Security, workers' comp, Medicare, Obamacare. You can see why it's very tempting for a company who's terrified of the threat from the Far East, China, India, to want to replace the retail clerk with the robot, the worker bee with the robot. 
then there are jobs that nobody really wants to do. Like get your head blown off as a soldier. Or back-breaking work in the warehouse where you're having to carry this. It's not all forklifts. They do a lot of carrying. Watch this. This is the longer one. This is being used for military applications in dangerous zones. Handles all terrain. Snow, you're going to see. Uneven terrain, watch this. Can't kill this. What a gun. They're armored, completely armored. Look how uneven. They have all these gyroscope stabilizers. Right, look at that. This was two years ago, by the way. They were sure you can be sure they're advancing it more now. Oh, the two lovers are walking through the woods. Watch this. The warehouse. We'll never get low back pain. Never takes a day off. No vacations. Never comes in late. Never gets mad at the boss. Now watch what's going to happen here. Imagine if a worker did that on the worker bee. There would be a lawsuit faster than you can say the word sue. Watch the robot. He can sense exactly where it is and pick it right up. Infinite patience. <laughs> right? Did he get mad? Is he gonna gonna is he gonna go postal? As though it never happened. Onward and upward. It's time for a break. He's gonna take supposed to you're not supposed to take you're supposed to take a break every five hour, every five minutes every hour. So here he goes. Opens the door and Ta-da! Can you see how lots of dangerous jobs and repetitive back-breaking jobs are adios? Now, how many jobs are going to get lost? The estimates vary. They estimate, here we have, some estimate as little as 7% automation loss, 4% as big as, in 2035, 35%. And here, to show you, this, these are scarier by country. The scariest, this came out of Oxford. 47%, it was described, you've got to read the fine print. 47% of US jobs are at risk. Doesn't mean they're all going to be taken. But we care about the 53. Now, of course, he who lives by the crystal ball eats broken glass. Predictions are almost always wrong. I, I always laugh at the old study that found that they took a, 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 a monkey and they had the monkey throw a dart 
and picking stocks, and it did as well as the pros. So, you know, don't take, you know, I'm just another person here who's talking that could be dead wrong. That said, I'm taking a very centrist position here in presenting what's going to be extant 20, 30, 40 years from now. I'm not going to say the robots are coming, they're going to take over, they're going to be smarter than humans, they're going to destroy the world. But even though there are smart people who say that, like Elon Musk is worried about it, Stephen Hawking is worried about it, even Bill Gates is worried about it, at least a little. But I'm taking a mainstream position where I'm mainly predicting the future based on current trends, not some wild new trend. The jobs that will remain are in four basic categories. Subje what I call subjective data, it's a yucky term, but it's where you take data and you have to subjectively analyze it, make judgments about it. I'll talk, be, believe me, I'm going to get into specific in a minute. The second category is called human subtlety, where it's like if I am your counselor, although they tried starting in 1968 to develop something called ELISA, it doesn't work. A counselor is still needed. A salesperson of complex items is still needed to understand the nuance of people, and etc. Third, of course, is hands-on. I'll be talking about that in a minute. And simple local micro-businesses, and I'll talk about those. So, I know you guys don't want to have to take a lot of notes, and I want to make your life really easy. So I have a handout with all 28 careers that I'm about to talk about. So you can just kick back and listen, enjoy. Let's pass these out. Pass them back. Thank you, Valerie. I think there may be need some need for some links. Pass them. On the PowerPoint, those are just a few examples. But I want to, because I know that, you know, especially in talking with you before, but I knew from talking with Ramu and Stan and Diana that you're really interested in your own careers and, your, and what's possible for you. So I'm focusing the majority of this talk on that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Who doesn't have one? We need some over here. Okay, not a problem. So I'm going to do a quick thumbnail about each of these careers. And um, yeah, I'll just do that. For so that first category, subjective data, program evaluation. Now, I have to cop to, the, to a bias here. That, uh, he said I got my PhD from Berkeley. It's in program evaluation. It's my specialty, evaluation of innovation. It's the coolest career in the world. I did it for quite a while and part-time as part of my job. I did it at universities, actually. Um, it's wonderful because you're seeing innovations all the time and you're evaluating what's working, what's not, how to improve it, where to cut the funding to get to give the funding to something better. It's a combination of data and people. I've got to interview. I've got to observe. I have to write. I write reports. I have to speak. It's a hugely great career and that can't be automated nor offshored. Program evaluation. And the simplest thing to do when you want more information is Google. Pro, the word program evaluation and career. It's an awesome career. Okay. 
And no matter what political party is in, in office, it's a winner. Because if a conservative is like Trump or whatever, in, they're demanding evaluation, evaluation, evaluation. So it appeals to conservatives. But of course, liberals tend to be more about innovation and trying new things and experimenting. So it appeals to liberals too. It's apolitical. It wins all the time. Medical informatics. No, your next doctor, even 20 years from now, is not going to be Dr. Watson, which is the name of IBM's uh, robotic doctor. But it will absolutely be physician-assisted, nurse practitioner-assisted, etc. Because there is, I teach in the medical school, I teach a course every, every semester at, at UCSF Medical School. All of my students are sitting already with, the, with their laptops looking at something called up-to-date, which is all the latest, the latest research or whatever. So even in answering questions in class, they are using computers. But the time is not so far in the future where you will go in and the doctor will listen to you, ask you questions, or the nurse practitioner, physician assistant, and then type in data, in the, all the raw data about your, what he or she observes, what you've said, and the computer will make a recommended treatment, diagnosis and treatment. It already exists. There was a study of IBM's Dr. Watson comparing cancer diagnosis with a, a live pathologist. They came out equal. And that's in the year 2016. In the year 2025, there is going to be the ever more computer-assisted diagnosis and treatment. The implication, that's where the jobs are going to be. Whether it be the highly technical programmer types or the interfaces. Doctors, like so many people, they have egos. They don't want to surrender control to a machine. So learning to interface between the, the practitioner and the computer, to making it sing, to make them happy to have each other, is going to be where there'll be tons of jobs. It's called medical informatics. Next, forensic accounting. Regular accounting, automated. It's a routine process. Routine processes are going to be largely automated. So I do not encourage people to become your basic accounts payable accountant or even your basic tax. How many of you use TurboTax? Raise your hand. Do you know how many accountant jobs that got low? When I first was growing up, I used an account. I, there was no TurboTax. I went to the accountant and paid him the money. Now I have an accountant look over my return. One quarter or less of the cost. A lot of accountant jobs. But unfortunately, humankind is such that there is always going to be some people who are going to try to screw the system. They're going to, they're going to steal money from the till. They're going to give competitive intelligence to the competitor. Enter the forensic account. Oh, and in the government, you know, we all say, follow the money. Trump investigation right now, Trump Jr. Mueller is following the money. Is there a trail? Was there pay for play? Who do you think is going to be doing that research? It ain't Mueller. It is a forensic accountant. It's a field that will never go away because it is the blend, yes, of data and technology, but it's nuance, just like a detective job is never going to go away, because it's not all in the computer. It's the computer with the nuance that only a human can bring. So if you're attracted to accounting kinds of things, numbers, awesome career, start early. Even from your first accounting course, say to yourself, 
how might this be useful in a forensic setting? Because so much of what we learn in school, not an extension so much, because extension is really practical, but if you're taking a course at regular UC Berkeley, it tends to be abstract. And it's hard to find out how it gets tied to the real life. But if you say, I want to be a forensic accountant, and you're taking, let's say, a statistics course at UC Berkeley, say, how might I use this in uncovering sex trafficking? That's going to keep you motivated, learn, and you'll be much more knowledgeable and sound better in job interviews because you will have applied everything you're learning from day one. Make sense? Next. Grant proposal writer. An ever large percentage of GDP, gross domestic product, is awarded by grant. The amount of money is awarded through a grant process where a nonprofit or certainly universities or write these proposals to get money from the federal government, from foundations, from nonprofits, to do innovations. The grant proposal writer has an awesome career. Yes, they use data, but again, you're at the cusp of innovation. You're, you're, you're surveying your workplace at your nonprofit or your university or, or your whatever, your government agency, and you say, we have, where are, what are our needs? What are our strengths? How can we amalgamate the two? How can we write a proposal? And you're the one who's doing the interviewing, writing the proposal, looking at data to support your position. What a great career is that? And it ain't getting offshored or automated. Grand proposal writer. Analyst. So much is, anal is analyzed. Low-level jobs are just going to be done by computer. But there is, San Francisco's got a lot of these, right in this building, next door, is Char Schwab. Charles Schwab employs thousands, no, it's a lie, hundreds of analysts to analyze stocks, bonds, derivatives, all kinds of things. And then, yes, the initial work is done by computer, but then it's nuance. It's listening to the investor, the report that they, uh, they made when the, when the, when the uh, report came about the last quarterly earnings and projecting for the next quarter. And government hires a ton program analysts to determine what kind of programs need. If there, we see in Berkeley there's a big problem with Native American AIDS, well, an analyst is going to go and review, a government analyst for the city or the state or the county, there's plenty of government levels, city, county, state, region, federal. They all have analysts to review what has been done regarding Native American AIDS in the past and writing a report and say, here is the unmet need. Now we'll get the grant writer to write a proposal. Analyst is a really cool job, and government, I must say, I have seen over the years that I've been doing this career counseling thing, that government is the last bastion of secure employment for all but superstars. I mean, if you're a superstar, you'll be fine. You're, you know, anywhere. But for most human beings, normal human beings, the government is the last place that's going to hire you 52 weeks a year with lots of benefits, including a pension, and great health care, incredible number of vacation days, holidays. Government and analyst is one of the most under-the-radar excellent job titles for people who would be coming to an event like this. Great career. And again, mix of data as well as nuance, which can't be automated, not at least in our lifetimes. Data scientist. 
we've heard this word ad nauseum. Data scientists and its the associated terms, machine learning, deep learning, artificial intelligence. I say that a little mockingly, but it's huge. It really is huge. Whether you are a geneticist and trying to look at these massive amounts of assays, assays are these various runs of tests of different genes and proteins, to try to piece out what's really in that data that could cure, cure cancer. Or you're Facebook, and you're trying to figure out what, what really, are, when they're doing all this clicking, what, you know, what are they clicking on? What implications does that have for buyers, for shoppers? Data science is huge. Don't, in the nonprofit sector, don't think that, that all this big data is about money. The holy grail in the nonprofit sector is how to get donors to give big. How to put, the, put the, the University of California, Berkeley, in their will. Well, big data can be used to analyze massive data sets of who donates what, why, and how. What kind of pitches. There's actually a term called prospect researcher who researches on an individual's hot buttons. What motivates them to give? What are the things that their, their key elements of who they are are? And then that, that dossier is given to what's called a pitcher in the inside, who pitches for, to, to these donors. They usually match them up. If, you were, if you're a big sports fan, they'll, match, they'll take a donor who's already a donor and match them up to, uh, to a potential donor who's also a sports fan. Anyway, the point is there are huge data sets that need to be analyzed, some of it by computer, but again, it's nuance. So if you, like many people in Berkeley, are non-profit oriented, specializing in data science, but in the nonprofit sector, is an under-the-radar, legitimate, excellent niche that ain't going away. Next. Renewables. We all know about it. Solar, wind, hydroelectric, wave power, and yes, nuclear. Because nuclear is the only. I attended, I, there's something called the Renaissance Fair that Bill, Wentz, Bill uh, Clinton started a number of years ago. And I attended, and they have quite a few heavy hitters who go there. And I spoke to a Nobel Prize winning physicist. I'm going to tell you the truth. He said, solar is, I'm not going to use the curse word, BS. He says, solar is BS. Physics delimitations mean that it can only, no matter how low the price goes, it can only solve a small percentage of our energy needs, even if we conserve our butts off. But nuclear is an unlimited source of green, clean power. Of course, the issue is safety. We all think of Fukushima. But, and I'll, I'll show you a slide in a minute, no less than Bill Gates is investing in compact, super safe the development of compact, super-safe nuclear. So engineers who specialize in super-safe nuclear, again, that's data, but it isn't just data. They're going to need to be human beings. Great niche career. A place like UC Berkeley Extension offers programs, single courses, four courses, certificates, whatever. I'm just giving samples. I went, frankly, in preparing for this, I went online to the UC Berkeley Extension catalog, and I found a few examples of the kind of programs that are related to this subjective data kinds of careers. So they have a finance planning and analysis program. You can be sure that ain't going away. Bet your life. They've got a data science one. We were just talking about data science. 
Regulatory affairs. Government is not getting smaller. Some would say it's growing. Others would say it's metastasizing. <laughs> but, but it's certainly not going away. Regulatory affairs means ensuring that whether it be drug companies, food companies, whatever, are meeting the enormous requirements. This is a true story, by the way. I have a client who works for Genentech. He says that if we printed out all of the paper, all of the, docu the, all the documents that are needed to get a drug approved by the FDA, it would fill three trucks. Three trucks. That's why it takes a decade. Three trucks and layer after layer of approval. It's, but I asked him, is it too much? He says, no. He says, actually, it's needed to really prove efficacy and safety. So I wasn't dismissing it. My point is, regulatory affairs, those three trucks, means lots of jobs. And it ain't going away. Data and nuance. What he told me was, he spends a lot of time talking with the FDA, negotiating about, do we, do we really need to do another test? Do we need to do another round? Great mix of, again, you're cutting edge, you're learning new things all the time. It's not for everybody. You've got to be very detail-oriented and patient. The government does not act quickly. It may be, in this case, acting very responsibly, but it ain't fast. But if you're patient, detail-oriented, smart, can deal with data, deal with people, deal with words, awesome career. And UC Berkeley Extension has a program in regulatory affairs. OK, next category. Human subtlety. Uh, yes, please do. Um, but let's uh, let's um, Valerie. Would you? Is, uh, oh, sorry. I, yeah. Let's. I don't mind. I don't mind an interrupted question at all. Let's just. But I'd like it recorded so that the people who are going to listen to the podcast can. Uh, so just on finance planning and analysis. Yes. So what do you think of the autom automation of financial industry? Uh, you know, Goldman Sachs said they are a technology company and hiring like 30% of engineers for automation. There, as I said, and I want to reiterate, it's an excellent question. And do I need to repeat it for the recording, or is it clear enough? Got it. Okay. Routine kinds of calculations, forget it. So low-level book, entry-level accountants will be in real trouble. That's why I'm stressing the subject data kind of jobs, where you have the sense of nuance. Well, even if you're an artist, you said you were a graphic artist, motion artist or whatever. Some, somebody said you were a motion artist. Um, the people who make a, make a living as a graphic designer and artist, or whether you're, you're going to be a, a number cruncher, is somebody who understands the business and understands nuance, understands how to make judgments. Those jobs aren't going away. So if you think that you have a potential to do that kind of subjective thinking as well as the data, you will not be unemployed. It's a great question. Very legitimate question, of course. OK, back to human subtlety. The obvious example, and I, you know, I, I could make, this, make a cheap joke, but politicians aren't going away, <laughs> for better or worse. It certainly requires human subtlety. No matter, you know, I don't care who you're, you know, who you're supporting, whether you're a Green or you're a Socialist or you're a Democrat or a Republican, doesn't matter. Whoever it is that you're, you're talking with, whether you're talking to the media or you're talking to the general public or your base or whatever, politicians are not, you know, they, they require enormous nuance and that ain't going to be automated. Can you just see that R2-D2 is running for president against Chelsea Clinton? <laughs> just a thought. By the way, my, you know, I predict who the president's going to be in 2020? Mark Zuckerberg. No. Yes. He's a moderate Democrat. 
He's got, he's an excellent speaker. He's just the right age. He has no negatives. He's got huge positives. Most people think very He's given like $100 million to UCSF uh, to, to cure cancer or whatever. So it's a long shot, but I think I'm, I'm thinking at this moment in time at least, I think Mark Zuckerberg's going to be president. Yes, he is. That's true, too. Good point. Okay, so politician. Business development. Again, that can't be automated. Business development has many different, different definitions, but I'm going to give you one that I think is fairly standard and good and where the jobs aren't going away. Different, a business, if I run a business that's, that makes coconut water, okay, there's a number of things I can do to expand my business. I could license the name Parrot to somebody else who's making lemon water or whatever. That's a joint venture. That's a business development. It's not sales. I could decide, you know, Monster, which also makes energy drinks, you know what? Maybe we can get them to merge, and that would be to our financial advantage. That's what business development people do. Let's say I have a really great technology for making these smaller, making these thinner and yet equally strong. I can license that technology to other beverage makers. That's business development. That is a career that ain't going away. So it's looking for licensing agreements, mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures. Maybe the leading company in England that, that makes radio, that does uh, radio, uh, makes radio codex. It's a, it's a fancy term for something that converts computer language or voice to something else. Anyway. Uh, that company in England dominates the market. But there's another company in America that has a, a, a technology that's exactly the same, and they're duplicative in marketing. So they say, let's do a joint marketing venture. We'll market our codex together, and let's try it on a trial basis. And if it works, then we'll go we'll move to transmitters and microphones and whatever. That's what business development is. And again, I, you notice that many of these careers are under the radar. Everybody grows up thinking doctor, lawyer, regular accountant, nurse, social worker, teacher, da 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 da. So the competition is huge. You're here to get an edge. So I'm focusing on the careers that are both viable and that aren't top of mind for people. A lot of my clients, for example, want to work for Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon, Apple. Well, so does the universe. So the chance of getting a job is really hard. Almost all the jobs are filled by referral. But companies that are maybe as good or better, like the old Google used to be, is now another big company, quite bureaucratic. Maybe easier to get a job, and maybe even more fun to work for. There are a lot of ex-Googlers who work for smaller companies because they got frustrated with, with Google having grown big. So same thing here. I'm trying to focus on under-the-radar careers so that the, you know, your competition isn't fierce. You know how many people want to be actors and musicians and singers? But there's 10 million people for, I drove, I have a friend who's an, a, an actress and a singer. I drove her to the audition for Les Mis. And she was playing for a middle role. I think she was the owner of the bar in there, whatever her name was. There were 150 people auditioning for that role for $50 a show. So if you choose something that is intrinsically cool, you know, it's like, I like the environment, man. I want to save the environment. So I want to, 
I want to sell solar, uh, you know. So does half the universe. And see, so the competition is ruthless, and they make you work as an intern to even avoid paying you minimum wage. I remember when the Obama administration wanted to have more solar installers. And so it started a massive job training program for solar installers. By the time they finished training them, there was an oversupply. The smart thing to do is go under the radar. Go under the radar. Moving on. Uh, hearing officer. For those would-be lawyers who are, or have been lawyers, who are just sick of the fighting and the incredible detail-orientedness, how much, you know, not all lawyers are in the courtroom. This is not LA law with the cute suits and Susan Day. It's very often sitting with a contract in microscopic detail. And then you're fighting with your opposing counsel about which corporation should get more money. And it ends up being dispiriting for some people. Not all. Some people love it. But, well, there's a wonderful under-the-radar path for unhappy lawyers called administrative law judge or hearing officer. These are the people, yes, when you get that traffic ticket and you have to plead it, that's who hears it. Or if you have a special needs child and you want your child to get an in-classroom aid and whatever, or that a horse is needed, equestrian therapy is needed, according to the parent, you go and you make your case in front of a hearing officer, an administrative law judge. These are mainly former lawyers. Again, can't be offshored. Great, rewarding, interesting, stimulating, and government job, so it ain't going to be cut. You won't be a part-time temp, as likely. Okay. Online education and training. I remember when we, you know, I met at Alcohol Calais with, with Ramu and, and Stan. We were talking about the, the future of, of this, of UC Extension, and part of that future is a next generation of online education that is more immersive, more engaging, with a higher completion rate, student completion rate. Well, those jobs aren't going away, and they're really important because they result in more learning, more fun. Can't be automated. <laughs> it's the future, it's now. Better online education and training. Every company, every nonprofit of size, every government agency has to train its people. And they don't want to have a sage on the stage. Even if they get the best sage on the stage, that stage is in one person, and you're not going to fly everybody to Kansas City to sit in an auditorium to listen to the sage on the stage. But if you have some awesome video, interactive video, immersive simulation-based video training, everybody gets world-class education. And in K-12, we always hear about the, the, the gap between the haves and have-nots. But imagine that we had some of the world's best, most transformational teachers teaching an interactive video-based, simulation-based course. Everybody from, from Beverly Hills to, to inner-city Harlem would get access to these world-class teachers. All that is about online education and training. And again, there's no ethical compromise. Notice I'm also focusing on scrupulously ethical fields that clearly make the world better. So you can go to sleep at night and feel great about what you're doing. OK, next. Here's a little more uh, ethical potential. No, no, not yet. Um, fundraising. 
I mentioned prospect researchers, so I don't want to say anything more about that. But there's many jobs in fundraising. It's not just the ad. How many people, are they, I, uh, when I say the word fundraising, how many of you think about asking for money? Raise your hand. Right? That's only one of the jobs, the pitcher. There are event planners who put on galas for, I don't know why people, how many of you like galas? You ever know a gala? I hate them. How many raisers? Do you like gala fundraisers? My wife makes me go. I hate them. <laughs> but anyway, there are some people who apparently they, they work, they raise money, so they keep running. The, somebody's got to plan the gala. And they're even more complicated when they're auctions. Very often they get the local businesses to donate one or vacations or somebody, a fat cat who owns a condo in Hawaii, donates and they have these auctions. Well, somebody's got to put it all together, and that ain't going to be automated, and it's not going away. Because if money is involved, it ain't going away. And if you have nonprofit sensibilities, that's a great career. Something, you, whether you're behind the scenes, you could be a database person, handling all the database for a nonprofit. You could be an event planner, you could be a pitcher, you could be a prospect researcher. That ain't going away. Here's where I meant about the ethical issues coming in more. Complex item sales. Routine sales, as you know, do you just go on Amazon and we buy it. But there are complex items that require not only a lot of explaining, which could be theoretically done by videos, but it's customized. Every situation is different. And if you are a manager in a nonprofit or a company or a government agency, and you're going to spend $100,000 on a piece of customizable software, it's scary. Your, your job is on the line. So they're going to have live salespeople to handle that. In terms of personnel recruiting, there's an art to, frankly, sifting through the BS. There's a lot of, quote, creative writing that occurs on resumes. There's a lot of phoniness that goes on in references. I had a client who came to me, and she admitted to me that she got fired from the last three jobs, and she knew that she'd never get a reference. You know what she did? She had her boyfriend and her father pretend to be her previous boss when they, when they called. So my point is that personnel recruiters need to have a lot of nuance in addition to looking at data and what, you know, what's, go, what's going to be on, on Craigslist or on in, and Simply Hired or on Indeed or LinkedIn. They have to have that nuance thing. That's not going away. Esoteric real estate. Even basic real estate, but certainly if you're selling, nobody thinks about selling stadiums. But they get bought and sold all the time. Venues. Mixed-use high-rises. You know, we here in Berkeley, we're really big on that. On the bottom floor, we've got, we've got commercial, and then up we've got residential. Those are complicated. It's complicated to figure it all out and to explain it and to sell it. Those complex sales jobs aren't going away, and they're very lucrative. Management in general. Management is very complicated. You're dealing with your bosses, the pressures from the bosses above, the pressures from the workers below, from the customers, government regulations. The press in large companies is a major impact. The media has a major impact on what companies do. It ain't going to be automated. And there's management in every sector, nonprofit, for-profit, government, small com company, large company. If you are, again, that have that human subtlety thing, that's really a career that ain't going anywhere. But you will also need some understanding of data and technology. You can't be data phobic anymore. You can't be computer phobic. That those, 
There's only a small percentage of jobs where you don't have to have some, some sense of technological savvy. Ramu, do you know, is there, a, uh, is there a course or anything through extension that's a good for somebody, they know how to turn on a computer or whatever, but is there a course where they can take their, just their basic business or office technological skills to the next level? Do you know? Okay, never mind, just a thought. Well, this is a good place. It's not the only place, but there are plenty of courses through adult schools that may have that kind of thing. Yes, please. EdX, right, online. EdX, it's actually through Berkeley. Office of Light, right, all through Coursera. You remind me now of a whole lot of things. There's Udemy, there's Udacity, there's Coursera. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, which is a part which is owned by um, LinkedIn. And you can get access to through a public library. Access to a public library, or it's really not expensive per, you know, uh, to sign up for it. Right. And edX, which is which at least I remember Berkeley founded it. Great. Thank you very much back there. Appreciate it. Um, okay. Unfortunately, terrorism prevention. Weapons of mass destruction, or even not like IEDs, improvised exploding devices. They're getting smaller and cheaper. And um, terrorism is just not going away. And so people who have, yes, the technical chops, for example, to create sensors that are, will prevent, when the first mutated biovirus, some anomalous virus or bacillus is in the air, who can create the sensors, which would then alert the FBI or local police or whatever. But not just those, but there's a whole lot. Think about hostage negotiators, how much nuance, human nuance is required there. I sometimes wonder, I was watching C-SPAN this week, and they had a, uh, uh, the live broadcast from the UN about the sanctioning of Kim, Kim Jong-un and North Korea. And it felt like they were emotionally tone deaf. They were all blustering. Well, you want to show us power, we'll show you more power. Somehow I think that ain't going to work. Maybe I'm just being a beautiful Bay Area Kumbaya guy. But I think that dealing with people who we, and just writing them off as crazy, ultimately is going to fail. And that includes whether you're talking about the Taliban, or you're talking about North Korea, or even ISIS. So in my judgment, after we continue doing our stupid militaristic crap, we're going to realize at least part of the equation is in the nuance, understanding human conditions across humankind, but also cultures do differ. The West has had the hubris to think that it could take over the East. And it's tried it from the age of King Cyrus in his pre-biblical times, all the way through Winston Churchill and the Dardanelles in World War I, where he had his biggest loss to right now in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and ISIS and the Palestinians. We're going to need nuanced, human nuanced anti-terrorism people. And that job is not going away. And what could be more important than saving somebody, I think about in Israel, where in cafes, they blow up a cafe. They blew up a bar mitzvah 
where kids were getting bar mitzvahed and the kids were destroyed or their legs were blown off. Very important mission. Um, technology tutors, we were just talking about that, clearly. There will always be a need to help people learn more technology. One -on -one, it is my belief that one-on-one -on -one teaching is extremely potent. Sometimes the classes go too fast, it goes too slow, it's not the topic you're particularly interested in. But if you have a tutor, it's all individualized. It's a great investment, especially around technology. You want to learn how to program in R. R is, by the way, the, one of the most foundational languages in the artificial intelligence space. If you want to get involved in that deep learning, machine learning space, and you want to learn R, sometimes the best way to do it is self-study plus a tutor to get you through the rough spots. You do offer the course in R. There we go. Right? So there is a good example of a career that ain't going away, a tutor. Because I'm sure even people who are taking that course in R, some of them would be glad to have a tutor to support them along the way to help them. Great career. And again, all completely ethical, all good stuff, stimulating, great careers. K-12 teachers. While eventually there will be these holographic um, dream team teachers taught on, a, on video, et cetera, that are immersive in a, in a room that all four, all the, all the walls, all, the, all four, six spaces, the ceiling, the floor, the walls are all going to be screens, and then we're going to be immersed in jungles and in outer space and in the, in the middle of a bacteria. That ain't happening for a while. We're still going to need teachers, especially at the elementary school. Not offshoring, not automated. Specialty counselors and coaches. There is a therapist under every rock here in the Bay Area. There's another counselor and a therapist and a coach and every rock. But there'll still be a need for them. But the answer, in my judgment, the under-the-radar answer, specialty niches that, that are synergistic with the times. Right now, in America, but especially in the Bay Area, we are, I'll just be nice about it. I'll, I'll just say we are focused on immigration, we're focused on transgender. We're focused on mixed-race couples. That is, you watch every movie now, for the last 10 years, it's always a mixed-race couple. The society, or at least the, the media, which determines the way we think, is very in favor of, you know, it's not black power or this power or that. It's mixed-race relationships. And so while there are, you know, diversity has its tremendous advantages, it can also bring challenges. If you grew up in one culture and your romantic partner grew up in another, that's going to lead to some need for counseling at times. Hence, the need for specialty counselors that will not be automated. It is all about human nuance. I need to do a little check with you. I'm well aware that it is now 7.30. We'll be out of here at 8 as planned. Do you need a, raise your hand if you need a break. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you'd like me to skip these discussions of these and move on. How many, how many want me to continue through the list as I'm doing? Raise your hand. Okay, I will continue. Okay, I want to be responsive. Uh, well, I just have to say, I, oh, here, I'm not even going to put it on the table. I'm concerned if these jobs are slivers of the economy. They are. And if so many large numbers of traditional jobs go away. It's like you're a plant in my audience. That's what I'm ending. Remember I talked about the fact that we're going to uh, 
uh, talk about specifically. We're going to devote most of this to you, but then we're going to end with what, as citizens, can we do about the larger problem? And I will be talking. Because I, I think some of these kind of basic aspects of our economy are in jeopardy if we can't support, you know, the social structure. Right. And I, we will talk about. I'm not going to talk about guaranteed basic income because that's not the magic. There is pros and cons of it. I was talking with Jerry before about that. But we will talk about that. I, I'm sensing from the vote of people, I, I, need, I should go through these. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yes? Is the, he hasn't really talked about hands-on stuff, but I'm just talking about blue-collar work in general. HVAC, electrical work, plumbing, construction, welding. Um, of course, there will, those will generally be around. There's no question. Stuff that you really can't outsource because it has right. to stay. But I'm, I want to focus on under, everybody kind of knows about plumbing and electrical. I'm trying to focus on the under the radar so that I'm not. Uh, what I'm going to do, I'm sensing, Valerie, your uh, unhappiness with all this. So um, in an attempt to be responsive to you, I'm going to try to go a little quicker. Uh, but I, no, I, want, I want to check again in the group. How many of you want me to speed up? How many of you think I'm going at the right pace? Raise your hand. Okay, I, I need to do that. I'm sorry. Um, I'm a pleaser, but the, I'm going to please the group. It's okay if we have to, like, we have to pass by eight. Let's, let's just, I will go without rushing, but, but not delaying either. Okay. Conferences, no matter how much we see visually online, there is a tremendous need for people to get together. That's why still, even in an era of online classes and online Google Hangouts, people come to conferences for networking, for romantic relationship, flirting, <laughs> and for learning. Right? So those, there will always be a need for conference planners. That's not going away. And it's interesting and intriguing because you're getting to pick speakers very often. You get to talk with really interesting people. Conference planner, expo planner. Right? You get a book. You, get a, you can get a free book. You never know. That's right. Online, you're not going to get a free book. Okay. <laughs> right, Priscilla. Right. Okay. Um, and last in this category is, while the Pew Trusts did a study in uh, uh, 2014 that found that the fastest growing religion is no religion. But people still have spiritual needs, especially as, as Valerie said, the economy is going to be probably pretty, you know, tougher. And although I will present an optimistic vision in a, later, but um, people have spiritual needs. Well, they've always had spiritual needs when, when the crap hits the fan, when they or a family member have cancer, or they lost a job, or, or something like that, or they get older and they're aware of their mortality. There will always be a need for religious or spiritual leaders, whether it be a deistic leader or not. Deistic means that, you know, that there's a God. Here in the Bay Area, we tend to be more interested in non-deistic religions like Buddhism. You know, and secular Judaism, for example, where most Jews do not go to temple. They don't really believe in God at all, but there's a cultural thing that they like, and traditions. Okay. Uh, relevant UC Berkeley extension programs in this area of human subtlety. College admissions and career planning. College will change. The really, there is going to be a tremendous, these massive, ridiculously expensive $300,000 bachelor's degrees with these massive campuses and beautiful RSF, recreation sports facilities and the like, I think their days are, are limited. Parents are conservative about their kids' education, so they still send them. But I think that in your lifetimes, that's going to change. But there will always still be a need. What are the kids going to do out of high school, after high school? 
college-wise, education-wise, career-wise, that ain't getting offshored. And no matter how much software there is, and there's been software, career software for decades, there's still a huge need for the nuance. And there is here at UC Berkeley Extension a college and career planning certificate program. And unfortunately, especially as Valerie said, if the times are getting harder, people do turn to more substances. And we are legalizing marijuana. And I'll, I don't want to go on much of a tangent, but I'm going to go on a one-minute tangent. Time Magazine had me write a review of the literature for them about marijuana. And I was shocked, because I'm your typical Bay Area liberal. I've smoked pot. It's not like I haven't. Um, but the recent research that doesn't come out of the, the big tobacco-funded stuff, but it comes out of Harvard and Northwestern, is finding that it's far more dangerous than we thought. And I'm, it includes vaping, absolutely. This is not just the smoke. In terms of, yes, motivation, we've known about that. That's all, that's all we need. China and India are laughing at us. We're, we're, we're trying to compete with them, and we're, gonna, we're legalizing pot probably nationwide, which decreases motivation and memory, and lowers IQ points eight points on average, and it's not recoverable. It's really, you lose it, and you don't get it back. And increased risk of not just, you know, really mental illness, as in like schizophrenia-type illnesses, and car accidents, we've learned that now we've had four years since it was legalized in Colorado and Washington. The number of car accidents is up. And again, think about if it was your son or daughter who lost a limb, let alone died, in a car accident of somebody who was stoned. So we say these statistics like there's been an increase in car accidents. It's abstract. But these are human lives. The number of emergency room visits by children because of marijuana is up 300%. Because although it's, quote, legal only for 21, we all, just like kids went into their parents' you know, liquor cabinet to get the alcohol, they're going into their parents' pot stash. They're edibles. And kids, we all know their brains are not fully formed and are extremely vulnerable. So I just, my point is that UC Berkeley Extension has a drug abuse, substance abuse program. And unfortunately, especially in, in difficult times, that is not going away. That is a field that is going to grow, alas. OK, hands on. We are moving. You, you probably don't sense it because of Donald Trump. But in my judgment, that is a rightward temporary blip in an overall leftist trend to cover everybody for health insurance. So we will, and I believe whoever is going to be elected in 2020, it is not, I, I really believe it's going to be a Democrat, and there's going to be a move to single payer or something like it. And so that's going to mean we, we don't have enough, it's too expensive and too time consuming to train all those doctors. So there's going to be, a, they're already seeing a lot of shifting of work that we used to, a physician would do, is being done by physician assistants and nurse practitioners. Work that a physical therapist used to do is being done by a physical therapy assistant and even a physical therapy aide. An anesthesiologist, which is the most expensive medical specialty, tremendous amount now being done by nurse anesthetists and by anesthesiology assistants. So those are all called intermediate healthcare providers. Those jobs are not going away. Because if there's anything we care about, it's our health. And so in my judgment, and even though I teach in the medical school, I teach doctors at UCSF. For most people, rather than spend the $300,000 and having to take all those pre-med courses, and I know you've got a post-bac program here, 
I think that being a PA, a physician assistant, or a nurse, a, a nurse practitioner, or a nurse anesthetist is a great career goal. Six-figure salary, and you're going to get more and more responsibility. You will never be unemployed. You will live where you want. They'll want you instead of you begging to get a job. Okay. Um, of course, technical installation and repair, what you're talking about. But rather than plumber or electrician, become an expert at I showed you that image of the Tesla plant. Somebody's got to maintain and repair those robotic arms that are moving all the time. That's a niche ain't going away. And it's moving with the times. We're going to be ever more robotics. There's going to be ever more need for blue-collar guys and women to do that. There's going to be ever more mass transit because we're not building any more freeways. So there's going to be need for people to repair trains and trucks. And eventually, there'll be autonomous vehicles with their own set of things that need to be learned. So the smart people right now, while it's still a decade away from autonomous but three, five, seven years from now, you would be the first in line to sign up for a course in repairing of autonomous vehicles, the computer software systems that are going to run those. Or there's, those they're going to be tied into GPS and street lamp-based sensors. That's called the Internet of Things, all that sensor stuff. Those are where the job's going to be, blue collar or white collar. As I mentioned, nuclear engineering technicians as well. They're going to come, you know, come, we're going to come to the conclusion that that's, no matter how much we conserve, we need to find sources of energy that are a greater source of energy than wind, solar, etc. We'll conclude that we'll do so, solar and wind, but, but that won't be enough. And a haircutter. It's the lowest tech job on this whole list. People always need their hair cut. No computer will ever do it. And you know, if we're really honest, it's really important to all of us. We care about our hair cutter. We want our hair to look a certain way. Even if we're bald like me, I have my hair cutter, Elizabeth, at Supercuts on College, and I like the way she cuts my two hairs. <laughs> it ain't going away. And it's a very, there have been many career satisfaction surveys. Haircutter is always right at the top. Why? Because you succeed with almost every customer. You get to chat. There are no night and there are no week night, you know, two in the morning emergency calls. It's pleasant. It's upbeat. Nice business. Nice career. And then finally, there are simple local micro businesses. Unfortunately, when people get a bad diagnosis of cancer or diabetes or heart disease. The system is horrible, certainly now, with the insurance companies and Medicare and doctors and paperwork and denials and the delays. It's horrible. It's hard enough you have to deal with the damn disease, but to deal with the system is nightmarish. So there is a growing career nascent right now called medical advocates, who people's job is to fight with the insurance company, the hospital, the doctor to get an appointment, etc. There we go. Right. Yes, I was getting to that. <laughs> um, right. Oh, no, I didn't. I wasn't going to mention it. So, Valerie, thank you. Yes, great. Health advocacy, great. <coughs> I mean, again, look at these. These are no ethical compromise jobs. You know, you watch the media all the time, and you're always seeing about sleazy businesses, sleazy jobs. Every one of these things is ethically pure, right? There's plenty of them. You just have to look a little bit. Okay. I love this one. They really, talk about positive. Ever more of us are busy, and so, and we recognize the power of Match.com, Coffee Meets Bagels, uh, you know, all the dating sites, 
from you know, Christians mingles to J-date. But we are really crappy at creating a good profile and crappy at vetting others' profiles. We're either too modest to say what we really like or we, sound, we think we're being funny but we're not. We say too much or we say too little, we're too intellectual, we overthink it, we go crazy. We think we're old, we have wrinkles, so we use a grainy old picture that's 10 years old and it's back and nobody can see the wrinkles. There is a real need in my judgment for people to be a consultant, an advisor, to help people create their profiles and to keep people from choosing losers. There's a million, there's a million fish in the sea and learning how to, again, nuance. Which one of these really is full of it? Hey, he or she didn't respond within 48 hours. That means he's probably too busy and probably will be worse with you later. You know, they used a misleading picture that made her look 10 years younger than she really is. Not a good sign. She's lying there. She's trying to lie about a lot of other things too. So, great career. Small, simple. Doesn't require any money to start. Anybody could do it. Right? Even take the pictures. I've done that for many of my career counseling clients. I make them laugh. I use these sexual words and make them giggle and I take the picture and it's fun. <laughs> okay. Tutoring. Again, on tutoring, that business is not going. Some of it's going to be online and I know there's a lot of tutoring right now that's going on overseas for the kids who are in Asia who want to learn English. They use American tutors to teach them good English. So there's going to be, some of it's going to be online. Of course, Skype and uh, one third of my clients now are Skype clients. So of course it's good, but there's still going to be a need for tutors, human beings tutoring. And this is a, the most uh, declassé of the ideas. Um, the biggest problem with a, a store, a retail store, is the rent. It's a, like a taxi meter that's going 24-7. It's just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. If you have a cart in a wonderful location near a BART station, for example, or near Kaiser Hospital or whatever, a cart that sells what's in demand at that time, and you can change on a dime when you're running a cart. It's no, you don't have to have this massive inventory. Whether if the Giants, the San Francisco Giants are hot, you've got giant caps and t-shirts. If Stanford basketball has won six in a row, Stanford basketball. It's going to rain for the next week, umbrellas. You know, it's near, near Valentine's Day, flowers, carts, uh, uh, scarves, chocolates, whatever. It's like those Halloween stores, they're out of business 11 months out of the year, and then come October, they all rent space in the malls for one month, so they only have to pay one month of rent. Cart businesses allow you to do that. Okay. Now, I am well aware, that's why I saved this for last, before we get to the societal stuff, that some people don't have the years to, to, take, to take. Some of these careers do take a bunch of years to train. I'm not delusional. Some don't, but a lot do. So some of you don't have these years, but you still want to be, do something different. So there's no question that the technology is happening. So you're probably, if you don't have years to train, you're not going to become an R programmer in machine, in, in machine learning. But you need to be able to understand, to, to embrace it enough to use it. To say, you know, that, those sensors on our trains would be a good way to keep the food cool without using too much energy. Knowing about the Internet of Things. Knowing about how to use electronic medical records. That's, you know, I had my, I went for my, every two years ago, just routinely for an eye exam. 
My, I go to Rockridge Optometry right here. Lovely, very excellent place there on Yelp, 4.9 out of 5 stars. But I walk in there and I see a wall of paper medical records. Right? But we're changing. It's changing. So even if you're not going to be an electronic medical records program or whatever, understanding the human side even of getting offices to change and what the barriers are and what are the best ones. Epic is one. Why did you use Epic or is the other? You have to embrace the use of technology, but not necessarily be the technologist. It's a great idea for somebody who wants to change. And again, that's what UC Extension courses do. They can be, they give you enough knowledge that you're not, you, you can talk the game. You can, you, can, you can be a player. You can have a seat at the table. You may not be the techno nerd, or you might. Some of the programs do. But if you don't have a lot of time, that's one option. The other thing is, if you're older, I see a number of people here with a few wrinkles. People make the mistake of trying to hide their age. And they try to act cool and young and play, and, and play ping pong with the kids and, and, and drink Red Bull and all the rest of it. It's normally smarter to brand you, to use your age to your advantage. To brand yourself as the wise elder. Offer to mentor people who are, again, totally ethical and psychologically rewarding. To mentor, it's very intimate. It's wonderful. In meetings. Bring up an idea or support someone else's idea. Say, you know, that really makes a lot of sense. I, in, in, in a number of instances in the past years, I found that worked. That brands you and reminds them that all those, that lifetime of experience and wisdom is not for naught. And that not everybody has to be 20-something. And finally, if you're older, it doesn't mean you can't have a grand idea. Most people, when we're over 50, don't want to go gentle into the good night. We want to say, I want to do something big. Not most, but many. So I do invite you to think about what would be the biggest damn thing that you could do. That's not delusional. You're not going to play basketball for the Golden State Warriors. But the biggest damn thing you could do that is somewhat realistic, and at least map out a plan to make it happen. You may throw it away. I had, can I tell what, what you and I talked about, about the course? Peter and I, we just, you know, Ron Moore and I were just chatting before. And he, you know, he loves his job, absolutely. But I said, is there anything that you'd like to do different? He said, you know, the one thing I used to love to do, I used to teach this course in medicine and literature. And I would like to teach that again. And so I told him, don't commit to doing that. But write a one-pager. What would be the literature you would include in the course? What would be the lecture titles? What would, what, and put it aside. And it'll either ferment in the fine wine or ferment in the vinegar. But that's a big idea. It's a way to improve his already excellent life. I invite you to also think of the grand idea. OK. We did it. We got through all these. Now we get to moving forward to Valerie's concern, appropriate, about scenarios. This first, we're going to talk about a bad scenario, good scenario, solutions. This is from the Terminator. The robots are taking over. They're smarter than human beings. They destroy us because they realize we're more trouble than we're worth. And in a realistic term, that's a movie. But seriously, Valerie's point, a lot of jobs, especially for people who are not going to do these super high-level jobs, what the hell is going to happen to them? A universal basic income? Even if we did that, if we, if we taxed Google, Facebook, Amazon, and LinkedIn at 100%, there isn't enough money to go around to give an, a, a, a guaranteed basic income. And 
what's going to happen in terms of, we all know that the welfare mentality, quote unquote, like a trust fund baby mentality, results in people being not wanting to work. Hey, I'm getting the basic income. I'm not sure that's the answer. But I'm going to get to the positive scenario in a minute. So, but there is a possibility that there will be massive unemployment, which will turn to crime, drug abuse, civil unrest, and which then leads to terrorism. I think it is correct that rampant poverty is part of the causes of terrorism. That's the negative scenario. Um, but now let's move to an optimistic scenario. As I said, Bill Gates is investing, you know, he's no dummy. He is the money behind terror power, complex, uh, compact, safe nuclear. Imagine that we didn't have to worry about global and we didn't have to worry about expensive gas because there's this unlimited, potentially cheap source of ultra-safe energy. That's part of the optimistic scenario. Maybe the most foundational part of the optimistic scenario is for time immemorial, for millennia, there has always been a new technology from the wheel to the steam engine to the car to the airplane to the computer to the, gene, the Human Genome Project. And every time they say, maybe this is going to cost us jobs, and every time there's more jobs created than that were lost. So it is possible, no guarantees, that all of this fear that comes from technology will be replaced by jobs you and I could not conceive of. As I said, I was being very conservative, if it will, or moderate in the careers I talked about. They're mainly continuations of existing trends. But there may well be careers we can't even imagine and humankind is endlessly innovative. Now, I'm not a high-tech person, but a couple of low-tech examples that I thought up. I have seen so many people's lives be improved by hiring an assistant, whether it's somebody to help with their newborn baby, or a homework helper for their child, or a tech tutor for themselves or for their children or simply a person Friday to go and go away for the Comcast guy or, or, or do errands or whatever to make your life easier, or an elder helper like I had for my mother. If, but we don't, unless you're rich, you don't think that way. But if the government made a, a, a point, a PR campaign, which is relatively inexpensive, saying your life could be improved by hiring a helper, all of those people who, did the, who got hired would get rewarding, interesting work. And no, you're not going to get rich doing that. But you do two or three of those and you're making at least a decent living and completely ethical and the overall society is better because we are getting the help we need. That's, I call it, the assistance army. The entrepreneurship army. Probably the most important course that doesn't get taught in school is entrepreneurship. And yet the only kind of, only job creator that will work long term is not a government program because that's eating our seed corn. We're taking the tax dollars that could be used to create jobs and we're creating jobs. It's a zero-sum game. We're robbing Peter to pay Paul. But if starting in kindergarten with that lemonade stand or its equivalent, and in high school we had a course in entrepreneur, ethical entrepreneurship. We all know sleazy entrepreneurs. I hate them as much as you do. But ethical entrepreneurship and then a major in undergraduate, it, you're seeing it in, 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 in the prestigious universities that you're somehow inferior if you major in, in business. But ethical entrepreneurship serves human beings, creates good, the triple bottom line, people, planet, and profits. Creates jobs, creates fills needs, 
And then in job retraining, instead of training them for a blue-collar job like solar installer that goes out of business by the or that gets oversubscribed by the time they finish, if you train people in job retraining to be ethical, simple entrepreneurs like those carts I was talking about, you're creating real jobs. Is it the answer? Of course not. Is it a little bit of the answer? Maybe. My point is that if little me came up with two ideas that, without technology really, could create lots of jobs, Think of the 338 million people on the United States. Think of the 7.5 billion people on planet Earth. I choose to bet on humankind. Watch this. In today's hectic world, it's getting increasingly difficult to remember what truly matters, the health of you and your loved ones. But now, someone can help. With his artificial intelligence, Pillow recognizes each and every member of your family and starts caring for them. Clara, here are your cholesterol pills. I see you're running low. Shall I reorder them for you? Thank you, Pillow. That'd be great. Pillow is 100% secure, and his skills and functionalities will grow the more you use him, the more he gets to know you. Here are your vitamins to go. Enjoy your training session, Liza. Thank you, Pillow. Since Pillow is always connected, he can answer all of your health-related questions. Kilo, how many calories are the celery stick? Six calories, Clara. Celery is excellent for your health. Great. I'll have a bunch then. Aww. Good morning. <laughs> Pillow is simple to set up and makes the management of complex medication regimens very easy. He'll remind you. So you'll never miss a dose again. Wait, John. It's Tuesday. Here's your blood pressure medication. You're right. Thank you, Pilo. And if you want, he'll notify your caretakers in case of an emergency. Like when he forgot his heart medication. Hey, Dad. I just got the message from Pilo. Everything okay? Because, you see, Pilo's not just a member of the family. He's a true healthcare companion. And since he can sync with any wearable and wireless devices, Mark can share his combined health and wellness data through one secure, user-friendly platform where he receives fast and reliable feedback. Goodbye, doctor. Thank you, Peter. Because sometimes, all you need to stay healthy is a friendly, timely reminder. And that's exactly what Pillow will do for you. We created Pillow to Right? I want to bet on optimism. Guarantee no. But society, for millennia, has always been two steps forward and one step back, but inevitably, it's forward. So, I'm looking at the time, and again, I want to give you two choices. I'm willing to stay as long as you'd like me to, unless there's limitations on the room, to answer as many questions as you want, and then I want to end with a story that I do want to end with. So, would you like me to tell, just tell the story now? And so we get out, okay, let me, let me tell the story right now. And then I'll stay later if you want to individually come up to me and ask me questions. As you can probably tell, everything that I have done here today is custom for you completely. I learned that actually from Richard Nelson Bowles, from Dick Bowles, was we started our conversation today about what calls your parachute? He said he's given hundreds of keynote speeches. He's never given the same twice because he wants to be fresh and he wants to keep learning. And I've done that for you. However, what I'm about to do now, I have done in every single one of my keynote speeches and other talks for the last 15 years. 
And it's not because I promised my father I would, although I did. It's because it's less than maybe as or more important than anything that I've said to you so far. The year is 1939. The town is Sierpce, Poland. My father lived in a small town with his parents. And one day there was a knock on the door. And it was two Nazis in black boots. But unlike in the movies, they didn't yell. One was silent. The other whispered, you will be out of your house with only what you can carry on your back by noon tomorrow or else. And by noon the next day, there were not two Nazis. There were 12. I'm going to close the door. And now they weren't whispering anymore. Jewish households and they grabbed all the Jews and they put some in one truck and some in another truck. My father never saw his parents again. And for the interest of time, I'll simply say that he and 11 men escaped from a concentration camp and at the end of the war was dumped on a cargo boat and dropped in the Bronx without a penny to his name, no money, no English, no education, only the scars of the Holocaust tortures, no relatives. What did he do? No job was beneath him. He worked sewing shirts in a factory in Harlem. And at the end of the day, what did he do? Did he say, I'm exhausted, I'm a Holocaust survivor, I'm going to go and get stoned? He went to Roosevelt High School, night school, to learn English. Because he knew unless he spoke good English, he would always be relegated to minimum wage work. And what did he do on Saturdays? Oh, by the way, and that's where he met my mom, also a Holocaust survivor, learning English also in that Roosevelt High School night school class. What did he do on Saturday? Did he say, I'm exhausted, I'm going to watch Saturday morning football? He went to the owner of the factory where he sewed the shirts and he said, can I take those shirts that I sewed for you and buy them from you for a dollar and sell them out of a cardboard box on the streets for a dollar and a half? He did. What did he do with the money? Say, finally, I deserve a reward. I'm going to buy myself some nice somethings. No. He saved up enough for the first and last month's rent on the only storefront he could afford, 105 Moore Street in Brooklyn. You see, my mom and my sister and I were living under the, in the Bronx under the elevated train that was roaring 24-7. We couldn't sleep. Of course, there was no air conditioning. It was a fourth floor walk-up, the whole deal. And he didn't want us to live like that. So he saved up all this money so he could afford this storefront storefront. This is the size of it. The wall is one thing, and this is about, uh, maybe not, maybe where Ron was sitting. That's the whole store. And it was a clothing store. And on one side, there was a Puerto Rican deli specializing in chicharrones, deep fried pork intestines. And on the other side, there was a live chicken market. And the smell of the stale blood was merging in my father's clothing store with the, with the chicken, with the chicharrones. Lovely environment for business. And the store was so small that most of the merchandise he couldn't keep in the, uh, in the store. So he had to keep them on folding tables in the front of the store. But on weekends, when the kids were not in school, 
they would come by and they would steal. They would take whole boxes of shirts and sunglasses and everything. But he couldn't afford a security guard. So when I was 13, guess what I was? <laughs> security guard. And the most vivid memory of my life is one day when business was slow. And I remember standing like this. And there was a parking meter like this. And it was, I remember my elbow on, on one side of the parking meter. And my dad was the other side. And he's standing like this. Suddenly, an idea pops in my head. And I say, Daddy, how come you so rarely talk about the Holocaust? And he stiffened, which is something he rarely did. And he said, Martin, the Nazis took five years from my life. I won't give them one minute more. He said, Martin, never look back. Always take the next step forward. And each and every one of us has faced problems in our lives, will probably continue in this ever-changing world of work, but I can leave you with no better advice than to follow my father's advice. Stop looking back. Take the next baby step forward. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. I shall now turn off the mic in case any of you want to talk to me. It doesn't have to be recorded to the immediate universe.